This is the Making Books podcast. I'm author Polly Ho Yen, and this is a podcast documenting the often slow, sometimes agonising, but also, let's face it, ridiculously exciting art of creating books. Each week, I'll be talking to a writer, illustrator, or industry expert about what their life is really like when they've dedicated it to making books. Hello and welcome to episode seven of the Making Books podcast. This week, I am interviewing the brilliant Brian Conahan, who has written some fantastic young adult novels, as well as writing more recently, uh, moving into middle grade. Um, so I first met Brian when I actually first met Michael Mann, who I interviewed in a previous episode at a regional book awards up in Salford. And we had a great chat where Brian was very funny and very frank about his writing experiences. And we were also talking about the kind of like what, how interested we were in the different ways that uh, writers approach writing stories and their craft. And I did think back then, oh, if I ever did get this podcast off the ground, it'd be great to interview Brian. And here he is. So enjoy. Oh, just, oh, my plant has just flown. Is it to say that you shouldn't have a window in front of you or behind you? Don't worry, I'm not going to photograph you. So you just be comfortable. All oh, right, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to sort it a wee bit more. I just got a wee bit more. Oh, it looks a little wonky. It's, well, it's a monkey plant. So in oh. fact, where the monkey plant is? No. In five, it's so... year, in five years time, that'll be all long about about it's almost like monkey's arms but they're hairy and it's very lovely oh my goodness it's adorable so i'm trying to yeah, i'm trying it's like a baby yeah tending it i'm trying to nurture it <laughs> much more than i've done i bet i hope i do a better job than i did with my own child is that, <laughs> is that your main preoccupation at the moment your monkey plant well i just look at that when i'm bored with my writing i'm just like oh. I wonder how my monkey. Plant, I wonder where I'll be in five years' time when my monkey plant's fully grown and enjoying. <laughs> I know. I I had some. I used to have a plant in here, but I would just be writing and then I'd look at it and think, I haven't watered you yet, and then I'd be drinking some water and just be like, throw the water at the plant. Yeah. Continue. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, the thing is, I love the idea of plants, but I think I kill more than I I save. I know, and then there's the plant guilt. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean this one behind me is this one here is good. I love this plant, but I mean all I do is feel the soil, and I go, does it need water? And is it too dry? I don't know anything about plants. Well, I think it looks flourishing. I think you're doing good. I don't think you need to change yeah, your ways. Right. That one's flourishing. There's a there's a couple up here behind me that are. Uh... So is this where you write? This is this is where I write now two days a week, and uh, nice. and I've got, I've got an office now in Glasgow. Oh, brilliant! Uh, I've got. I'm doing. I'm doing. A, I'm doing a, a stint at the University of Strathclyde. As a, it sounds very, it sounds very elevated. As a, as a fellow, royal fellow, um, but the office have given me is horrific. <laughs> I mean, there's no, there's, there's no windies in it. There's no windows in it. And it's one of these glass facades, you know, but no, behind, no, no plant so, could survive it. <laughs> so blighting. And then you look outside and you look as if you're looking into a, a kind of call centre where everybody's been made redundant. <laughs> and you're just waiting on the you're just waiting on the furniture sale happening. It's horrific. Oh well, I that's gonna end up in a book somewhere down the line. So this is this is uh this is this is a good place to work. 
This yeah. Is, this is a wee writing shed. To the left. To the left. To the right. That's <laughs> the right, isn't it? Uh, that's, uh, that's a little ensuite toilet. Oh, my goodness. That with, is a shower, my... with a shower. And that is a, that's a sofa bed. Oh, my goodness. You're completely self-contained in your writing and, shed. And I've, got, I've also got a, a little kitchen. Bloody hell. That's what, happens when, that's what happens when you get mates who work in the industry. Oh God, it's beautiful. So you could just, you don't, you can just, um, you can just set up camp here. My, this is my writing shed, which is a little less glam. There's no ensuite toilet, but if I go out and out, squat behind it, no neighbours could see if I did wee there. Listen, it's yeah. perfect crime. And plus you're giving a lot back to the environment. Yeah, I love, well, I love plants. We love plants. <laughs> Help them that soil. <laughs> um, I'm in my head. I'm thinking, will, will I keep this in the podcast? Maybe I will. This is a nice. They always kind of start off with, with uh, let's do a bit of a reverent chat. Yeah, let's talk about having a wee in the garden. I was actually, what was I doing when my daughter was born? I was, I was a teacher. So I think I was in my final. It was my final year of teaching before I hung up my duster and and became a full time writer. What? So, um, how old were the kids you were teaching? What kind of what kind of sec- teacher were you? Sec- secondary. What kind of teacher were me? That's a very different question. Uh, but I was a secondary school teacher. What kind of teacher was I? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You ever seen I'm, I don't know. I mean, that's that's for the students to work out. <laughs> I was, I was, I was very strict and I was very fair. And that's I, good. And I was very consistent. Yeah, yeah. And I was also, I like to think I was very respectful and very kind. But I, I, I didn't take any shit after the students. Well, that's exactly what you need at secondary, isn't it? Because you, you know, you have, they have. I think you I trained in the secondary and I was pretty awful because I found it right hard to control a class yeah. um I love going into secondary schools now and doing workshops I really like it I've just done a whole bunch in the secondary school in Bristol but it didn't make me miss teaching in a secondary school no and and, and it's funny because I go into schools a lot as well and, and sometimes I find myself morphing back into the teacher yeah. As, as opposed to the author. Um, I don't mind big crowds and talking in front of big crowds and things like that. It's not a problem. But the it's the discipline. Sometimes you're disciplined. Sometimes I'm saying to boys, we've got a tendency to sit up the back row and a big line on their own. And they'll just go right down the front now. And sometimes I've even said to teachers, you want to get them sorted out? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah, so you kind of itching that teacher in you, sort of itching to kind of say, "This is how I do it." That's just that's just without doing any shit. Did you find teaching kind of inspired your? Because your first books were YA. We met when we when you yeah. were. It was Cub um, Cub and Cowboys, which is your first middle grade. Is that right? That was the first middle grade. Um... Yeah, and there's been about, I don't know, five, six books before that. But I think, I mean, like more, I don't know, like most writers, that's unfair. But I, I started writing, let's say, adult novels 
And so I wrote books without teenagers in the in the in the cast. And uh, I kind of morphed. It wasn't a, it wasn't a conscious decision to write YA. Yeah. Obviously, as a teacher, I knew as an English teacher, I knew the the genre specification. Now, YA isn't a genre, of course. Uh, and it's just a kind of new marketing tool. It's it's such a broad one as well for yeah, all it, young I, adults. Yeah, I find it really strange. You know, as soon as a sixteen or an eighteen or a fourteen year old pop up in a book as the main protagonist, it's suddenly YA. You know, I'm sure. I bet if um, Mark Twain was writing now, you know, I'm sure yeah. would Mark Twain or um, Catch on the Rye would that be YA? If it was, yeah, a- yeah. I mean, it probably would yeah. when it first came out, and then it would be a crossover. And then be... so, so my very first, uh, not my very first, my, my very first Bloomsbury book was a YA crossover. Um, the dream. Was, <laughs> dream. And it was the first time, <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was a very fleeting dream. Uh, it was it was one of the, I think it was the first time I've ever heard that expression. It was a YA crossover and it was two covers and it was two marketing campaigns and, uh, oh. and, and, Two sales campaigns, and the the only thing that unified all those campaigns was failure. <laughs> Is it? I mean, it, it was, it's it was, it's nice to fail twice, though, like to completely commit to it. You know. I mean, I feel that I think I think because it was because it was signed for a big big deal, right? That book it was a two big deal. Signed, got a little, bit of money, a lot of money. Um. And it bombed big time, right? And then the next book also didn't sell well on that contract. Funnily enough, that first book was short. It got a lot of really good critical appraise. Yeah. It was shortlisted for the Carnegie Medal. But at the same time, it was also banned in a few places. And because of the language in it. In fact, where you're from, Bristol, the, is it the Bristol Post, Polly? Yeah. They had it on their front cover. About, no. About this book that the one, they wanted banned in all libraries and all schools in Bristol because parents had complained about the language of it. But that, so, le- yeah, I think that, I mean, yes, I mean, that sort of notor- 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 notoriety, notoriety, though, I mean, I get it was getting that much attention. But it's so strange, isn't it, that, um, yeah, because your books are so brilliant. They're really well, you know, they're really critically acclaimed and, you know, been shortlisted. So yeah. why aren't, you know, why aren't more people well, reading them? Well, maybe well, they will after this podcast. Well, the, ne- the, the next book after that, The Bombs That Brought Us, The Bombs That Brought Us Together, even that, what a hand, what a, I mean, who allowed me to write that title? <laughs> uh, that, was, that was on the same contract and that won the Costa. Book Award, uh, the children's section, and again, bombed. It's quite, I mean, it's actually quite a feat. Yeah, it's a feat. And then the book after that, which was a new contract, and it was a, it was a good contract, that that book uh, won the Irish Book Award, Teen Irish Book Award for the year. That bombed. <laughs> Uh, the next book after that, uh, I had a, a co-wrote a book, and that won the 
the UK LA Book Award, the United Kingdom Literary Award. That didn't do too well. So I think it's 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 uh, and and all these middle grade books. So when I wrote Cardboard Cowboys, that I think Cardboard Cowboys is a, it was the first book of mine that didn't have any kind of swearing in it. There wasn't real levels of violence in it. There wasn't really these. Kind of not the not, but I was going to say it's not the normal what I was writing, but it actually is. It's just kind of tested a little bit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But that's that's done reasonably well for me. You know, it's done that's done well in schools, and it's you know I've done a lot more school visits on the back of that book than all the previous YA stuff. Maybe you just need to work younger and younger and younger, and your board book is gonna fucking well, sell the, millions. Uh, well, the book I've got, the book that just came out last month, uh, it's my first book away from, from Bloomsbury. So this is a book Anderson. So it was a book, it was a book that, I, I, I'm not saying Bloomsbury didn't want it, but they, uh, they just said no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, God love them. And, uh, but uh, Anderson Press said yes, and and I'd written I wrote this book set here where I live, and it's 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 a lot of violence in it, a lot of gang stuff, a lot of drugs, drug use, and a lot of poverty, and and in one in a, in one <laughs> when it was getting proofread, the proofreader, uh, forgive me, I can't remember her name. She sent me an email saying, "Hi Brian, blah blah blah. Really like the book. Uh, we're just we're just kind of going over a few bits and bobs here. And you've used the word cunt 133 times. <laughs> oh man, so, I love that note. I mean, again, that's much better than sometimes I get um, the word that I can't even think of what the word that is that I'm repeating because it's so bland. You know, and they're like, "Oh Polly, you've used the word. Exert any blatant one." you know, a million times, could you think, oh yeah, okay, I'll, I'll do that. At least, you know, I feel like, Brian, you do things with style. Well, I did edit it down to 130. Oh, well, I, I'm, a, I'm surprised you didn't up it a bit. So that... Get so the 150 that, mark. Yeah, that's really... So that... I think that's where I am at with the books, because I know that book probably... I know it'll maybe find difficulties, but it's it's already been getting some really good reviews and stuff like that, but I can't see it as flying off the shelves. I guess, um, you know, when you're getting good reviews, that's a warning sign to you now. You get a short listing. Uh Uh-oh, you win the award. Damn it. It's done. (laughs) The thing is, I used to to care about awards. I used to... to I think when I first started out and for the first few books, I used to care about I used to care about being on the shortlist and it used to it used to I wouldn't say affect me, but I would take an unhealthy interest in it, who was on long lists or short lists. And if I wasn't in it, I would it would kinda of knock me. But now I actually do not care. Well, I, I think you've had the curse of the shortlisting, I think, my friend. I've had, the, I've had the curse of the shortlisting. I've had a, a couple of awards have gone my way, but I'm not. I'm just not a big fan of of that competitiveness within creativity. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, I feel like they're more about just bringing awareness to new books generally. I mean, people might disagree with that, but that's how I feel about them. I especially love the regional book awards, which is where we met in uh, Salford, where it's just all about, you know, just getting young readers to read a, a, a varied list and to say what they think you know i think those ones i have a lot of love for i mean it'd been uh, I, I would much rather have that commercial success as opposed to critical success or those kind of pri- prize accolades i'd rather yeah. my books i'd rather they were sold better yeah yeah well i th- yeah well maybe I think- every writer's the same no different every writer's the same it's funny, isn't it, though? I think everyone has different... Maybe everyone... Maybe everyone's the same, or maybe... Maybe we're not. Maybe we, you just want to, like... I think sometimes I feel like I just want to, like, get by. That's my feeling. Quite low expectation, perhaps. Yeah, but I think, it's, I think that's a reality. We all want to make a living. And you know how you know how hard it is to make a living. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're all, we're all kind of just chipping away at other areas, trying to trying to generate an income yeah 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 I, I was interviewing one of one of the other podcast interviews jenny mclaughlin says it's like you write your first book and you like climb to the top of the mountain and you're like i did it and you plant your flag and then you look up and realize there's a whole vista ahead of you to, to climb and you're like oh hold on i haven't it's it's going i've got a fire way to go yeah and i guess i was a victim of Look oh, at one point in my career, looking left and right all the time, you know, looking what others are doing, judging myself by others' success, um, or sales success, or financial success, um, and take my eye off what I needed to do and what, yeah. what I could control about my own work. Um, and I'm in a much, much happier creative space, I don't really care. I don't really, I know that I'm not going to make money out of being a writer of books, right? I know that, unless I'm very, very lucky or something takes off. I just know I'm not going to make a lot. Of, I'm not going to make a living on writing books. So, But I, you I, have been making a living for quite a long time, though. I have. I have, yeah. But I've also I've also been doing other things. I've also... I mean, I've made... I, I, I've now, over the past couple of years, been, been writing for television i've written a couple of now a couple of film scripts i'm now doing um two television programs oh right so i'm i'm writing uh, i'm writing seasoned bibles i'm writing treatments i'm writing pilot episodes oh right yeah i didn't know that so they don't they they might not get made i mean i'm for example i'm writing one at the moment um around 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 the topic of reincarnation. Now, Polly, what I know about reincarnation is right on your fingernail. But when you're asked to do these things, you just go, absolutely, no problem. <laughs> you're, you're writing the treatment of that and you're writing a pilot episode and it pays more than, let's say, my last three book deals. Whoa, really? So, yeah, and it might not even get made. So I mean that's 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 an area that I've worked hard to get myself involved in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
Do you think if you if that took off and um, I mean, it sounds like it, you know, it has taken off and it's and it's been lucrative. But do you think you would continue to want to write books? Do you feel that yeah. draw to? Yeah, I do actually. I never thought I would, but I've always every book that I that I finish now, I go right. That's my last. Do like, you? Yeah, that's uh, I can't be asked anymore. That's my last. Because you know yourself. I mean, it's 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 a big, it's a big journey through your sort of creative mind for at least a year. Yeah. It's it's a, you know, it's a challenge. It's a marathon, isn't it? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it's um. I'm. I find that I'm. Um. I'm just sort of. I definitely feel like I'm addicted to it. Yeah. The thrill of the the chase, the thrill of the idea landing, and then that idea that maybe this, I you know, little spark of something that feels like it's nothing could actually turn into a book. Ah, then it's got me. Got it fixed into me. But it's, but it's also that endurance test of getting from point A to point B. And I respect yeah. what's going on the page. It's it's still a graft, and. I mean, it's not, mate. It's not. It's not down the mines. I know that, right? So, but it's it's an arduous task and a year's work, and then you bring it out. And I don't. I like the process. When a book's in my hand, it it kind of doesn't mean anything to me anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah. I, I see. I sometimes see. I've seen the postman coming up of the whatever delivery driver coming up with a box of books, just uh, the sort of proofs or the the pre-publication copies and I'm just like oh, for fuck's sake what am I going to do with them <laughs> 10, 12, 15 books and then the other day I get I get sent fucking 15 Portuguese versions of a book and I'm like for fuck's sake I don't even know any Portuguese speakers <laughs> it's I, I mean I do like writing the books because I'm I'm always thinking when I'm thinking ideas and stories, I'm always thinking in terms of books. So I'm not thinking in terms of TV stuff or anything like that. The only the only TV thing generally now come to me and I'm asked, they ask me, I'm not asked to come up with a real idea. They bring me the idea and then I've got to uh, enhance it and investigate. Yeah. But for example, <clears throat> uh, I, I was asked to, I've been, I've been asked to write a treatment for a, for a television series, so 10, 10 episode series. And it's and all they want is three pages. Right. So all they want is three pages and it's four weeks to do it. And I'm and I'm thinking, okay, yeah, that's great. And that four three, four page treatment is paying me more money than my last book paid. I know. Well when you put it like that, it's it seems completely bonkers, doesn't it? It does. Because, like you say, like it is, you know, like that's the that's the comparison. I mean, we, when we spoke in Salford, we you were talking a lot. You, you said how interested you were in, um, like, kind of different writers' habits or like the minutiae of writing life, and yeah. and that was. And I was going to say to you then, oh yeah, I really want to start a podcast. It's a bit about that. And how you know what and how that can exist and how it can evolve and what's that like for you? Like, is it is it different for your four page television treatment to your? I mean, of course it will be because of the length of it. But yeah, is there a difference? Do you do you find in like how you approach the writing? Is it more? 
I think I think when you when I'm doing something like a four page treatment, I, I do generally spend about a week to two weeks really thinking about it, thinking about how how this season can function. Because you're writing you're writing about ten hours of television and four four pages, three or four pages. That's synopsis. But as a kind of like, like writing a book synopsis. But when you write yeah. a book synopsis, the book's already there, the story's there. Whereas the story's not there yet. So I have to spend a lot of time trying to figure out the story. Oh, so would you have you do you rarely write a synopsis before you start writing? I don't write a, I don't write a book synopsis at all. Oh, what and, do you do? I, I don't have the I don't actually all my books don't have an end until I've started writing them. Oh, I, don't so really, what... I don't really know where they're going. So the way I work would be I have a I kind of have a scene, a first scene, and I kind of have a general theme, a general kind of one-line story. Right? Let's say one of my books was um, a boy has a dilemma whether to kill his mother or not because she's suffering from an illness. That's your general starting point and then I'll write, I'll write an opening chapter or an opening two chapters to see the voice is working and to, yeah. see, and to see if okay I can see where the next chapter goes so every day <clears throat> when I'm writing novel when I'm writing a book I I try and stick to the same plan every day thousand words then at the end of that day I'll I write in, in red on the page I write this is what I'm writing next. The next session, I'm going to write this and this. Ah, oh, right. So you set right. yourself a little target for the next day. So I write my target for the next day. It's because it comes to me as I'm writing. I, I don't plan it out. I know a lot of like, a lot of writers plan it out meticulously plan, but I'm not that type of of writer. Um, but there is a kind of daily plan or there's a weekly yeah. plan, and I I make sure I know where I'm going. And then what happens is <clears throat> when I come to my desk. On my computer the next day. I read over what I've what I've written the previous day. That kind of eases me into the process. And then you see the red, and you go, and, and then I go. see, and then I go right. This is what needs to happen. And then I'm looking at a blank page, and suddenly I just I just write. I mean, some of it's a lot of rubbish that that revisiting the the previous day's work has always always been really fruitful for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like I I like writing. I ha sometimes I have written synopsis, especially if it's, you know, the publishers asked to see it beforehand. Yeah. But I like doing that too, like kind of having the word count and then just sort of, just not doing any more than that. Yeah. And it, but I think there's if I I find that I have to if I'm writing like that, I kind of ha I have to be in a good routine. I can't yeah. be too much of a break, otherwise I kind of lose the thread. No, exactly. I mean, there's something, and I can't, I'm not really, I used to be somebody who wrote at night time because of the job, right, when I was teaching. I used to be something, before I had a child and things like that, I used to be somebody who would get a bottle of wine, sit with a bottle of wine and, and write. Uh, I used to, now I've, now I've got a set, set amount of hours. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes I've I've found myself I finished those thousand words by midday. Yeah, yeah. Or by midday I've written fifty-two words and I'm really struggling. And 
it's just not it's just not working for me that day. Yeah, 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 yeah. I just won't do it. I'll try and do something different. I'll try and edit. So you don't you're working, but you don't feel as if you're you're creating, if you know. What yeah. Mean. Um, and then I try and give myself little gifts. So I'll say if I finish my thousand words, I will watch an episode of something I'm watching. Yeah, yeah. Or, or I'll uh, play my guitar, or I'll just you know, do something. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, and that's always, and that, and that's a process. It's just always worked for me, you know. Yeah. And, I, and I go a book, sixty thousand words, sixty days. Yeah, it's so nice, isn't it, to be able to actually kind of determine the length of time that you're going to commit to. Yeah, I mean, because obviously it's going to be longer. Who knows what's going to happen with edits? Who knows what's going to happen? You know, down the line. But just to be like, it will be about two months, two and a half months. I'll get it done. And that, and that's, and that, I think sometimes a daunting task is to say, "Geez, I've got a book to write, and I've got a big blank page." Yeah, yeah. And that's why I kind of like starting off with just little chapters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, I've got files and files of first chapters that are just rubbish. A kind of good idea at the time, but rubbish. I've got fifteen thousand words of rubbish. I've got thirty thousand words of rubbish. I've got you know, but but that's just all part of the process. I know. I quite. I've. I've. I've got quite tender feelings towards all that rubbish that comes out because it's like, it's. I think if you embrace being able to write, you know, I'm just putting inverted commas in the air, rubbish. Or you know, sometimes I tell myself I'm going to try and write badly, so yeah. like there's no pressure. And then through that, you that means the good stuff will always come. But if you stop yourself, you can't be in too much of an editing mode when you're in that first drafting. Yeah, and I think sometimes that when I when I go through that, I'm I'm not writing well phase, or I'm writing really badly phase. It's when I'm, I think when I'm trying to create as I'm going along, as opposed to it flowing for me. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And I'm trying, and the characters not quite really there yet, or the setting, or the story's not quite there, and I'm trying to force everything. Yeah, making those decisions on the fly. Yeah. yeah and that, and that. That kind of doesn't function for me that well. But I'm also, I'm also, um, when I'm into it, I'm into it. And I do, I do the Pomodoro technique, which is an intense 20 or 25 minutes. There's a kind of theory, they call it the Pomodoro technique, that you can only concentrate for that amount of time. Yeah, yeah. I, I think there's a lot of truth in that. So sometimes I go, let's say it's, let's say it's at night time and it's 10 o'clock at night and I'm thinking about something, I can just say to myself, right, I'm going to do a Pomodoro. And that means I'm going to do 25 minutes, there's no phones, no technology, there's no internet, nothing. And I'm just going to concentrate for 20 minutes or 25 minutes. The time flies in, but you've also, you also can, at the end of it, you go, wow, I've written 500 words in 20 minutes. And yeah. it's, it's just constant. But then when you go back to edit that, you could edit that into a thousand words, or you could edit it down into ten words. <laughs> you can go either way. So That's, you, yeah. and I loved hearing you talk as well um, in Salford about that. As a kid, you you know you weren't naturally drawn to books. No, not at all. I was drawn to other things, but books weren't. It just wasn't part of. Uh, makeup here you know and I, 
and I know why it's different now, but none of my friends read books. Nobody at school read books. It's not, I can't, the very first time I, I ever had a discussion around a book was in 1994. So I would have been 23 at that time. Um, and that's a, that's a hell of a long time in your life not to consider books to be valuable commodities or, or these valuable modes of entertainment. I didn't, I just didn't read, I didn't have books. My dad was a voracious reader and, uh, but none of my friends read. We didn't. We didn't go to libraries. We didn't. We didn't go to bookshops. And uh, <clears throat> I can't, you know, in school I wasn't a great. I wasn't a great scholar at school. I was pretty bad. I was pretty poor in school in terms of my behaviour as well as my academic prowess. Um. So that was. It was not. It wasn't even. I, I wouldn't even say it was low priority. It was no priority. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't. The idea of becoming an author, you know, I feel as if I've had two different lives. You know, I've before books and an after books because I love reading. I love books now, but it's it's, it's really, that's life. But you know, life, the education system doesn't start and stop from four to eighteen. No, absolutely not. But I mean, what did change for you? Like, because I mean, that is, I suppose, there's a lot of people who would have got to that stage of you know being 23 and and not not being you know not being drawn to books or interested in them and, and continued on from that and that you've gone in a completely different path what what I how think, did that happen i think what changed for me was when i was doing a i was doing a job that i really really despised and it was, i was a painter and decorator and i really did i really disliked it and i was i was 17 18 19 i'd been kicked out of school with no qualifications um but I managed to get this job and I hated it. It was cold and wet and miserable. And I didn't see a future. I didn't see a future in my in myself. And I I was I was really, really struggling, I think, in life at that point. Mm. But we're talking about the eighties, late eighties, early nineties. And and the only way out, I think, was education. And I had to go back and do my my school again at night school and <clears throat> And then I, I, I managed to get into university. But the creative journey was when I was at university. Um, because I, and as an addition to the subjects I was doing, I did theatre studies. And the reason I did theatre studies is because um, my advisor at the time said, there's only two essays a, a year. And, and if you do well in the essays, you set an exam, I'm saying, brilliant, I can do that. That'll be a fucking model. You, you know, your eyes are lighting up in the same way as you're saying, I have to do a TV treatment. It's just four pages. <laughs> you get that? Uh, you can see where I'm going with my life, don't you? Take these are out. But when I, when I did theatre studies, I just... Something, something clicked. I just absolutely loved it. Now, I wasn't into at that point first year, second year at uni. You know, I was interested. I wasn't interested in performance and all that. But when I was reading the texts of of people like Harold Pinter and Becker and David Mamet and Sarah Kane, and they were, I mean, they just they were just wonderful. And it was. So I wasn't exposed to the novels. I was exposed to theatre. 
Yeah. I was supposed to dialogue. Um, I can see are you saying that. I can see that so clearly in your work that the, the, the voice, like how important the voice is to you. Yeah, that's actually, and it's all been, I've been heavily influenced as a writer by Harold Pinter, by Samuel Beckett, by uh, Brian Frail, you know, by these, just these giants in the theatre world who are amazing. So I, when I started writing creatively, I started writing plays, if you like. I started writing wee bits of poetry because in my English course I was reading poetry. So again, the, I, I had no idea, no desire to be a novelist or a, an author, but I, I wanted to write for theatre. And I set up a theatre company in Glasgow, me and a few friends after uni. Um, and we wrote for theatre. <clears throat> and I loved that. Um, and that theatre company's still going strong, actually. And it's 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 a cute... I'm not, I'm not involved in it anymore, but I'm still very good friends with the people who are. So when I left, it soared. <laughs> but that was, that was my first sort of foray into the world of creativity, right? being, around, being around people. I mean, you've got to understand that I was in my 20s. I hadn't met people from England. Right? I'm, I'm serious. And when I went to university, suddenly it was a lot of people from all parts of the United Kingdom and further afield. And it was such an eye-opener for me. And people who had, I mean, people who had studied theatre studies and the A-levels and things like that and, and new stuff that I just didn't know. Uh, but I wanted to know. And it was great. It was, that was, that was, that was wonderful. Having that collective sense of being around creative people. I just loved that. I mean, in a way, it's like, thank goodness you did go into a job that bored you silly and mm. that you absolutely hated at that point for you to go, no, like, I, I, you know, my life cannot continue on this path. Yeah, I mean, I think when you're, I think when you're a young teenager, especially in the town that I was brought up in, where there was a lot of problems, a lot of gang problems, a lot of social problems, a lot of sectarian violence, a lot of drinking. I mean, I'm sure that's no different to many places up and down the country. But <clears throat> emotionally, I wasn't attuned to school. Right? I just wasn't. I didn't have the temperament for it, and I didn't have the, the, the intellectual or emotional capacity for it as a 14, 15, 16-year-old. But when I was older, I did. You know? Yeah, I mean, there's something about <laughs> that it, it does seem sort of crazy that at that age where you know most teenagers are you know yes some are, are geared up for that and there's a lot of environmental factors and a lot of other stuff going on but actually like at that time where you're meant to be trying to like making these decisions to forge ahead and for the rest of your life to ch make those career choices is at a time when you're you know you're developing you know the purpose isn't there perhaps you know it's it's like you're yeah there's so much going on in your brain at that point it's um it seems kind of crazy that that's when you know you're you're going through all those hurdles and as a and, and i see that i've seen that as a teacher as well uh, more profoundly that you know one of the most if not the most common question a 16 17 18 year old will be asked is what do you want to do yeah 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 and it's also it's almost like now i can say this as a man in <clears throat> in my, my 50s like you remember 
Really? When I was that age? It's all very fleeting stuff. How can I map out a life for myself? Yeah, yeah. You're so right. It is what you ask them. And it's like, they're trying to like, I don't know, like own an identity or something. Like, yeah, I'm going to be. And it's, we've got to put this stamp on people. You must, you must know what you want to do at that tender age. And it's, it's probably been an interesting uh, social experiment to, to ground and figure out. How many people are doing what they said they wanted to do when they were 16, 17 or 18? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, but I think I think also like, again, like thinking about like bad jobs, like that they're re- that's some real motivation, like doing something where actually you really don't like it. It really doesn't feel like it's yourself. Yeah. That it, helps you to find out what you, who you are. But it kind of it destroys your spirit. Shuts away. Yeah. It chips away at your uh, your soul, doesn't it? And yeah, and, and you you have to have reserves to do what you did to like go okay back to night school, and then work your way through. But I've no alternative. I mean, it's a, I think it's when I look back and when I look back to my life, right? But those points, those points in my life where I was in full time education, are are the happiest, you know, because I yeah. love it. and and so it is. Day I do I do have a love of learning. Um, but there was there were there were the happiest moments in your life, and sometimes as a writer, you know, we all start out with no publishing deal, we all start out with no agent, we all start out with a a dream and a desire, um, and and even when I look back at my my writing career, I don't dismiss all those years because it it took me ten years to get published. I don't dismiss those years of sitting half drunk right i was a smoker at one point sitting there with the fags and the the, the wine thinking that charles you weren't doing the pomodoro back then <laughs> no, i wasn't doing the pomodoros back then but i was thinking oh this is what baudelaire must have been doing when he was you know and uh but i don't dismiss him because i was dead dead happy i was yeah. so happy you know i was writing and i was going and I always remember that that real feeling I had when I, I finished my first novel, which remains unpublished, and and but just the very fact that I'd created it, it was just wonderful. And I've still I've still got it, and I just I loved that idea. I just was yeah. very very happy just sitting coming back from. I was living in Italy at one point in my life, and and coming home from my job and going to my wee apartment. And, bottle of wine, getting my fags out, getting the music on, writing, and I just love that. And I, I, you'll ne- I'll never ever be able to recreate that. Never. Oh, oh maybe it, you can. I want you to. <laughs> you can, you know, you can. And now I'm sitting up here at two o'clock in the afternoon, going, right, I've got to get this fucking finished for. Uh, I gotta, I gotta watch the next episode. <laughs> I want <laughs> <laughs> oh thank you brian it's so good to it's so good to speak to you and thanks for like your frankness about yeah i'm gonna yeah i can't drink right now because i'm pregnant but maybe i will try your wine technique i will i don't even do that now what i'm on i'm on, a, I'm on a cheese <laughs> and coffee <laughs> i'm gonna try it I'm going to see how it, how it works out. <laughs> I think I know how it's going to go. <laughs> and this, this is an info 
commercial. I, I recently, my daughter actually recently bought me this called the Yeti. It's oh, like, so it's uh, like a insulated cup. Yeah, but I mean, it, I mean, this is like the king of insulated cups. It's, keeps, it's like four hours. And you have to be careful not to um, scold yourself. I know, but it's fantastic. I love it. And uh, that's it. No wine. Oh, well, that's, that's what you're yeah. saying. I can't see inside that cup, so I can't say for sure. <laughs> I know I once um once I was really trying I love used to love writing very early in the morning um like you know so you kind of get it yeah get it done and then like have the rest of the day um and I was trying to think of time saving tips that I could like get myself ready before I got to the desk so I tried once filling a thermos with tea the night before so when I'd get up I'd straight away be able to start drinking tea to start writing that's extreme time-saving tips. It didn't, it didn't yeah. work. <laughs> that's what sleep, that's what sleeping with your clothes on and just jump out of bed. Yeah, just roll out, just quick thermos in the face. Maybe the Yeti would have done it for me. I don't know. Yeah, but done it. yeah. yeah okay. Well, I, I might invest if I'm back in that space again. But yeah, the, the, the tepid grey tea that I drank that morning <laughs> didn't inspire me very much. <laughs> didn't fuel me for the writing ahead. Um, well, it must have produced something. Yeah. Yes. 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 I think. Uh, well, yeah. Any. I can taste it so clearly. I always think any bad experience you have, actually, those ones always sit a little bit more sharply in your head. Yeah, and awesome. so you know, I know. You know, if I need to write a character that's drinking lukewarm tea, got it nailed. Let me. <laughs> But thank you so much, Brian. Thanks thank for you, Polly. Time. Lovely. See you soon. Take care and good luck. What a guy. <laughs> I was trying to think of another phrase I could say, but that's the only one that comes to mind. Um, for Brian, what a guy. Um, yeah, I loved hearing. I was really interested in hearing about his writing for television, which is something I've never explored, but sounds very lucrative and interesting um but i sort of love that even though it makes so much more sense to do that kind of writing um financially um still brian is drawn to creating books and even though he keeps saying it's the last one he keeps returning um, he keeps re returning to writing books which is great for us all readers so Thank you, Brian. Thank you for listening and see to you next week.